As Pastor Ryan said, uh, it is so good to have a friend of Skyview here with us this morning, uh, Reverend Terry Faw. And uh, as uh, you heard, he is indeed chaplain uh, at uh, Ambrose University here. Good friend of mine, good right winger on my beer league hockey team. And uh, you're just going to appreciate uh, what Terry has to share with us this morning. So come and join us. Thanks. Good morning. Invite you to join me in a prayer for illumination as we prepare our hearts and minds to hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Living God, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the new light of this day. Open our lips to tell of the empty tomb. Open our hearts to believe the good news through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The word of the Lord from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, my life, uh, like your Sunday service has been slightly disrupted this week. Um, uh, my uh, wife has been in uh, Winnipeg for some time. She went there to help her siblings uh, prepare to move their mother into uh, assisted care living. And uh, just before she was to fly home, uh, she tested positive for you know what. And uh, and so was unable to catch her flight home. And, and, I, and, and then that happened again. And uh, I can't remember actually 
the last time I saw my wife. It was sometime in April. Um, and in the meantime, um, you know, I've tried to, you know, revel in some of the positives. I haven't done this much laundry and grocery shopping and cooking and cleaning, uh, gardening. You know, Calgary has come alive with green things in the time she's been gone. Well, speaking of COVID, the delta of my university days was not a variant <laughs> of the coronavirus. It was actually a society to which I belonged called Delta. It was actually called Alpha Delta Rho. It was one of three student societies or clubs to which every new student was assigned when they arrived at this college. And these uh, societies were run like the Christian version of a fraternity. Uh, however, no toga parties or keg parties. Uh, but we had a lot of fun. And once you were assigned to your society, those were your people forever. Um, in my case, quite literally, I, I, I met one and married one. <laughs> uh, I mean, you played intramurals with them. You competed in Jeopardy, or at least the Jeopardy of that era, uh, with them. Uh, you planned social events with them. Every year, you get, got to meet some new students from all across Canada and the US, and suddenly they were your Delta brothers and sisters, and you belonged to them. Now, I know I happen to know that a good number of people in this congregation went to that same school, and I bet you they could tell you quickly what society they were part of. You can check on them. If, if you know anyone who went to Canadian Nazarene College way back in the day, finding your people is a big, big deal, and it always has been. In the work I do at Ambrose University, we know that if a student doesn't make some kind of a social connection, doesn't find a friend or a group they can relate to and bond with, in the first six weeks of their time as a new student, there's a 50% chance they won't continue on past one semester. Isn't that interesting? Not that the quality of the living conditions or the food, never a chance of that probably, uh, you know, not the quality of the program, it's, it's connection, it's belonging. Belonging matters. Finding your people makes all the difference. We know this. And even though I've never met you, I'm going to hug you and dance a little dance with you if you're wearing an Oilers jersey. <laughs> I thought I would be allowed one. Just one of those since Steve was wearing his uh, Flames guitar strap. To not know who you belong to can be pretty devastating, can be very challenging. Uh, a couple weeks ago at uh, a conference I was at at Ambrose University, I heard Reverend Melissa Ewing share her lived experience of being of mixed ethnicity. And her lifelong journey of trying to come to terms with who she belonged to because of that. Father, it was First Nations. Mother is European. But her First Nations friends saw her as white, and white people saw her as First Nations. It was a profoundly confusing experience. Who do I belong? Who am I? And who do I belong to? 
in the part of the letter of the Ephesians that we just read a moment ago, the Apostle Paul is focusing on this idea of belonging. And he has a very eager audience for his message. You see, the Jesus movement, known simply as the way, is only a few decades old. It emerges and grows in the most unlikely of circumstances you could imagine. You probably remember in those weeks after Easter, those post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. He comes in John's Gospel, chapters 20 and 21. He finds his disciples hiding. They're behind locked doors. They are fearful of the Jews. They're fearing for their lives. In fact, Thomas doesn't even believe it's Jesus and wants to touch his wounds to make sure it's him. A little after that, Jesus finds his, you know, set the scene. These disciples who Jesus taught, walked with, nurtured, mentored, he healed with them, he, he served with them, he walked with them, he journeyed with them for a few years. And after his resurrection, he finds them where? Of course, back at their old jobs, fishing. John 21. And they're doing a very, very poor job of it, by the way. They're not catching any fish, if you remember that story. These are, you know, it's not a very impressive start to the church, is my point. After the resurrection of Jesus. But the book of Acts tells the story of how the early church grows from those unimpressive beginnings into a movement of multi-ethnic churches all over the Mediterranean world in just a few decades. And these new churches are full of people who are as different from each other as different can get. They're made up of Jew and Gentile. And you know, I mean... I, I, I grew up hearing Bible stories, reading the Bible. I grew up in the church. And I used to think that the, these two categories of Jews and Gentiles, Gentiles were like another kind of people. And I wasn't one of those. But Gentile just means anyone who's not a Jew. And so in the Mediterranean world, that would include Africans, Asians, uh, Greeks, Romans, barbarians, uh, anybody else. Just everybody, a collect-all. And in these churches, there were also rich and poor. This diversity shocked and rocked the harsh, segregated Greco-Roman world that the church was born into in the first century. And then it's really important to remember this. In the first century, there's no, you know, there's no handbook of Christian doctrine. There's, no, there's not even a Bible as, as, as we know it today. So Paul pens, puts his pen to paper, and writes a basic kind of here's what matters most kind of letter. The letter to the Ephesians. It's a letter that says, here's what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in spite of all these crazy differences. In our diversity... Here is our foundation for belonging. We are all in Christ. 
I tried to emphasize it in the reading. In him, in Christ. That phrase comes up, I think, 38 times. I'm not a big numbers guy, but I think it's like 38 or 54, something like that. It's a lot. In Christ. And this is all God's doing, in other words. It's not ours. This diversity, this this growth. The letter to the Ephesians is also unique because it's probably a circular letter intended to be sent to many groups of Jesus' followers in many cities, not just the city of Ephesus. And they find themselves in this new community of Jesus' followers called the Way. And they're wondering, do I belong here? Do I belong to this God? Do I belong to these people? You have Jews who began to put their faith in Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah and the fulfillment of all God's promises. But in following Jesus, many of their fellow Jews thought they were crazy. And they lost friendship. They lost fellowship. And the community that they once called home was no longer a place of belonging to them, the Jews. And then you have those non-Jews, those non-Jewish followers, the Gentile followers of Jesus, who in the opinion of their friends and their community had become part of some kind of Christian cult led by this weird peasant rabbi from Nazareth who'd apparently been raised from the dead. And they paid a price for that allegiance, for following him. They probably lost business if they were business owners. Some of the Gentiles in positions of government lost their authority and positions of influence. And suddenly, all these things that had once been their markers of identity and belonging were slipping away. Who do I belong to? Who am I? We get that. We understand that. It feels good to know you belong to someone, to have your people. But some of us know also what it's like to lie awake at three in the morning and wonder if you're ever going to make a friend. We know what it's like to listen to people at work discussing a contentious issue and we want to weigh in, but we're thinking, if I say what I really think, will these people still like me? Or trust me. And some of us, maybe many more than we'd care to admit of us, are tempted often by a little voice that says, hey, if they find out who you really are, you'll be on the outside looking in like that. And some of us just know the loneliness of feeling like we don't feel like we fit in. So these opening verses of the letter to the Ephesians that we're looking at today, we read 3 to 14. In the original Greek language, that is one sentence. One really long sentence. It's poetic, and it is so full of concepts and adjectives. And it's if you were listening to that and thinking, oh... My head hurts. Please, could we just read a parable or a story? I hear you. There's a lot going on in those verses. 
But oh my, if we could only scratch a little bit of the surface of what's going on in those verses, it would be amazing. We, we could see how glorious God is and how glorious his plan for the church is. And I think we can, just a few of them anyway. Instead of his usual words of thanksgiving right after his opening introduction, and, and usually when Paul writes a letter, he says, you know, he makes a, a formal address, and then he gets into some thanksgivings and some general sort of opening introduction, and it kind of eases you in, and then he finally, maybe after a chapter, he gets to the real heart of the matter. But not in Ephesians. He starts right in. He puts the pedal right to the floor in verse 3. And he says what a very well-known New Testament scholar describes as one of the most splendidly Jewish passages of praise and prayer in the New Testament. A prayer, a blessing to the one God. God, you are one, we sang. This one God a praise and a blessing for his mighty acts in creation and redemption. Three times in the first verse, there is the word blessing. Probably this prayer was borrowed from the Jewish synagogue worship. And it follows the form of a Jewish prayer of blessing. In the synagogue, this prayer of blessing would be lengthy and would exalt and thank God based on something great God had done or is doing. Brought me out of the pit. Helped me overcome enemies and so forth. And so in this opening prayer in Ephesians, which starts in verse 3, Paul is saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Why? Because he chose us before the foundation of the world, to be adopted as his children in Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Thanks be to God, who has adopted us as his children in Christ Jesus. Now, in the 21st century, uh, we understand adoption as a way to increase the size of your family. There's a baby or toddler who's in need of a home, and you match that baby up with a family who's ready to care for the baby, and people adopt domestically, perhaps, or internationally. And this is what adoption is. Caring for orphans or those whose parents cannot care for them. That's what adoption is in the 21st century. But that wasn't the way they did adoption in the Roman world of the first century. Basically, adoption was about protecting your money and increasing your family ties and ensuring that your family legacy would live on. It wasn't about caring for and adopting babies. I mean, why would you do that? Where would be the advantage of adopting a baby? How do you know how a baby is going to turn out? That's too much of a gamble. So they would wait until a child was at least 10 years old. Because 30% of the children born in the Roman Empire in the first century died before the age of 10. So you wanted to know if this child was going to be thriving, flourishing, healthy. Maybe you could even see some signs of smartness, athletic talent. Um, maybe see if they came from a good family. And that when he came into, and that when that child came into your family, he or she was going to make it stronger, 
So you're not going to gamble on something you don't know when it's something you're trying to do for yourself. So Paul says this about what God does. Verse 4. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. You see, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ before the foundation of the world. <laughs> Way before the foundation. Before, found, before you had any hope of proving yourself worthy. Before you had any chance to show how virtuous and valuable and special you were. God chose before the foundation of the world. Before you had any chance to make it all about you, God made it all about him and his amazing love for you. And that is very good news indeed. That is very good news indeed. Because if we are honest, and if being chosen by God is all about us, then we're going to be in some trouble. <laughs> the truth is we're not very good. We try. We, we work hard. You know, we have our spiritual treadmill. We have sinful desires and attitudes. We're weak and vulnerable when it comes to the flesh. I don't need to go into details. You know what I'm talking about. You know you can't stop yourself doing some of the things you know you, that aren't right. We know what we're enslaved by. And if there's one consistent message in the Bible, it's this. There is one God, and we are not him. <laughs> we are not him. You know, in one of the oldest daily devotional guides in the Christian tradition, the morning prayer in the Book of Common Prayer, Everyone is encouraged to read the words of Psalm 100 every day, each and every day. They go like this. Be assured that the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us and not we ourselves. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Friends, we aren't going to get to this holiness and blamelessness that Paul talks about in verse 3 by ourselves, by our own power. In her New York Times best-selling book called No Cure for Being Human, Kate Bowler says that the greatest cultural myth of our time is that if we can just harness our willpower and our beliefs, we can fix what's wrong with us. Life in the modern world is a fever dream promising infinite choices and unlimited progress. It's a message you can find almost anywhere, from prosperity megachurches to the Burning Man Festival in the desert of New Mexico. If we can just make good choices, we can fix ourselves. Uh, Bowler is a Canadian. She teaches... Christian theology at Duke University, and she writes this, quote, The myth is that we can organize ourselves, heal ourselves, budget ourselves, love ourselves, and eat well enough to make ourselves whole. And the message is basically this, you're not enough, but you can fix yourself. <laughs> you're not enough, 
but do more of this and you can fix yourself. It's a spiritual treadmill. And you got to sweat. And then you might measure up. And you might finally belong. And you might get an identity. In the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul is saying, you've got that very wrong. You're not enough, but you can fix it, is a lie. It's a myth. It's a marketing fiasco. <laughs> In fact, it's got it exactly backwards. What's true is that God has fixed you. You are enough. There's no way we can even get close to God's family by what we can manage on our own. And God knows that too. That's why his gift to us is Jesus in Christ. Paul writes, uh, verse 7, there's so, there's so much, do a half a year's worth of Sundays on just these verses. But in verse 7, Paul writes, In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes on us. You see, the family of God, the church, is the place where sinners are welcome. The adopted family of God is a place where those of us who are sick and broken and feeling like we don't belong, those people are welcome at the table because of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. It's not a solo journey. We're adopted into a family. That family is the church. Paul never once suggests that our journey into Christ is purely an individual adventure. Rather, our growing into the full stature of Christ is a journey we take as a community of sinners and saints whose bond is in Christ. That's what holds the diversity together. Paul, Paul's blessing mentions God the Father, Christ the Son, and then at the end of our reading today in verse 13, Paul says, you believers in Jesus, you are marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. That's a reference to baptism. We're marked, identified, labeled as God's holy ones, the saints. We belong to him. We're not our own. And here's the thing. We belong not only, not only are we not our own and we're God's, but we're also belonging to each other as well. We might think that our life together as brothers and sisters in Christ in our diversity and difference is all our idea, our plan, our sort of woke multicultural agenda. No way. That would be to miss the profound message of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. In choosing us before the foundation of the world, God has his covenant community in mind before the world was even created. Uh, you know, I've been reading these verses for many years, and I, just a few things are starting to dawn on me. There's something mysterious and truly profound about this message. 
Um, in one sense, the church, the called out holy ones God has formed, it sounds like Paul has seen that even preceded creation, before the foundation of the world. God chose, adopted by his lavish grace. That means the church is more essential to our lives than anything else in God's creation. <laughs> what a profound mystery that is, and what a, a humbling thought. I think we need to hear that message today. When our country, our communities, our families, even our churches are struggling with issues and questions that so easily divide we're struggling to live lives worthy of our calling. So as those marked by the Holy Spirit, we can live in unity. And we can be a sign and a foretaste of the kingdom of God. Because God has done this. How great is our God? He chose us. He formed us. He called us out to be his church before the foundation of the world. We're his children. May God help us to receive and to actualize this incredible gifts, gift in our lives and in the church. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you. We bless you for this wondrous truth that through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, we have redemption. We have been chosen. We have forgiveness of sins. Some of us are tired of the treadmill. We're tired of trying to fix ourselves. And we're sorry for living like it was all about us. You've blessed us, you've adopted us, you've bestowed your grace on us, and you've let us in on your plan to gather up all things in creation, and especially your church, in Jesus Christ, your Son. So, Lord, praise be to you for choosing us and making us your own. Praise be to you, God, for marking us with the seal of your Spirit, and so that we belong to you and to each other. Praise be to you for blessing us beyond our imagination. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.